Hey sailors, it's starting to heat up outside and that means going to the pool, kayaking, hitting the beach, or just lounging around and enjoying the weather. Tidewaters are your perfect foot companion for all of these activities this summer. Like stepping on a cloud, these sandals are made with high density yoga mats that mold perfectly to your feet, which fits them right into whatever your schedule holds, whether that be exploring, dinner dates, swimming, you name it. Aside from the super cute patterns you can choose from like animal print, sailboats, dogs, fruits, floral, and many more, you also get amazing lightweight material that's perfect for traveling or just being on the go. The best part is there's a discount for teachers all year round. As my podcast listeners, you can use the code THELOWDOWN for 20% off your order. Follow the link in my show notes to get your own. Also, as a Lowdown podcast listener, you get access to the giveaway that I mentioned in this episode. So go ahead and send me an email to enter yourself into our giveaway, and also let me know what you think about our review. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. And I'm Vincent. And this is the Lighthouse Lowdown. I made weird eye contact with you the whole time. (laughs) So the first thing we're going to do today is uh, exciting for you and for us. We're doing a review and giveaway of Tidewater sandals. That's right. Yeah. And we got a pair. um, I got the pattern Puffer. Wait a minute. I put Puffer Beach. I think it's Puffer Fish. Puffer Fish. I think I had Dog Beach. Yeah. I think I got us mixed up. They have lots of girls' or women's patterns. Girls and women's. (laughs) Women's shoes. And I think they have like four men's patterns. Yeah, they had four men's, which is not as many as the women's slash girls. But it's all you need. I was stuck between two of them. I mean, we we were able to pick out a selection. And I was uh, was back and forth for a while. But it ended up with Dog Beach, which I really... They're super cute. I really enjoy the pattern. They have little labs on them and some uh, palm trees and a beach it's a dog beach yep but they have a lot of cute stuff um i've had a couple ads for them on my last podcast and there was probably one before we started talking (laughs) (laughs) so that's the details of tidewater sandals and uh, we're just going to do a quick review because they sent us each a pair of sandals i got a size eight i'm usually a seven and a half but they tell you if you're a half size to go up and they're perfect for my feet what about you yeah i think i did my shoes are always different but typically like a 12 and a half or sometimes 13 and i went with the largest size and i think that fits me perfect so i think it was 13 yeah but that but that advice still goes one size up probably especially splitting sizes just go up yeah but yeah they're really i mean i'm gonna take it over but i really i really like mine so we're so they're made out of high density yoga mat material and when i first put them on i was kind of worried because they were really hard on my feet but we only wore them for a couple hours, and they form a mold to where your the weight of your foot is, and mm. it's permanent. So, it's kind of just like you know personalized footwear. Yeah, no, it's yeah. The ones I had before were super cheap from super long ago, and they're like you know real cheap foam, and they're they're light, which is great. But they're they're just not. These are a lot more supportive, and uh, they're still not heavy, and they float. Yeah, we found that out. We took them kayaking, and we checked, and they do float, which is good. Yeah. You'll never lose your tide waters in the waters. Yeah. <laughs> we did. We swam with them, um, walked down a boat ramp, didn't fall. That was oh, great. That was special. They're, they're, they've got grippy bottoms that just says tide waters, tide waters, tide waters. And the boat ramp, the bottom part that was in the water, is covered in algae. So I started slipping with them, and I was like... I'll just slap on my tide waters and I didn't slip when I was walking in there. Highly recommended. Highly recommend. We actually really do. They're it's nice we can write a review that where we don't have to lie about yeah. What are the odds? <laughs> I think our first product mm-hmm. that we're, you know, supported on the channel and And we love them. We actually love them. So I'm wearing you. them right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing shoes, otherwise yeah. maybe. <laughs> I have a couple more things that I put that I, I actually wanna say about them is that they have really nice soft straps. And lots of cute designs. I noticed they have just about, I mean, they've got like coconuts and they have lots of animal print 
and uh, rollerblades. They're just, you know, all this fun summery ones. And I was stuck between getting pufferfish and the sailboats. They had sailboats too. You know, they just need to get some lighthouses and then I'll be really satisfied. Right now it's 4.9 out of 5 until I get those lighthouses. (laughs) (laughs) Custom print. And the other nice thing about them is all of the sandals are $29, except for the ones that are on sale. I've seen a couple that are 25 But yeah, 29 for a really nice pair of sandals. I've been wearing them for, what, two weeks straight now? Yeah. And there's they're no sign yeah, of struggles. they're definitely worth it. Yeah. I'd say. But yeah, so I'll tell you guys about our giveaway. Tidewaters is doing a giveaway through our podcast for one pair of sandals of the winner's choice. And how they'll do it is they'll send you a gift card that covers the cost of one pair of sandals and shipping. So you won't have to pay anything. So all you got to do to enter our giveaway is to email me at thelighthouselowdown at gmail.com and just leave a note with a lighthouse you've seen, your favorite lighthouse, a fun lighthouse fact, a lighthouse near you, or even like your favorite lighthouse lowdown episode so far. Or anything Lighthouse related in your email, and you'll be entered to win in the giveaway. And so I'll randomly select a winner through like an app or something exactly a week after this podcast airs, which will be on 725. And then we'll send you an email in response with your gift card. Nice. So good luck to everybody and enter our giveaway because it's going to be awesome. And these sandals are wicked cool. Wicked cool. And comfy. Moving on to episode five of the Lighthouse Lowdown. Today we are talking about. Okay, wait. <laughs> I got way too excited. So the history buoy for today is going to be lightlist information because U.S. LHS has kept a record since the beginning of all lighthouses of what their flash patterns were. USLS. US LHS. Please be correct around me. I am almost a member. <laughs> I said that last week. What are you week. waiting on the mail or the email or what? I'm waiting to get paid. Oh, they pay you? Oh, I'm you waiting get to get paid, paid so I can pay them. You pay the USLS. L-H-S. All right. I'm sorry. The record of USLHS. Uh, yeah, the, the light. Okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Derail number one. Yeah, I didn't even get to my first bullet point and you threw it all off. They keep record of light patterns, or what's also called light characteristics, and this is in a code format. So actually, lighthouse uh, light patterns actually change fairly often. I always figured it was just that they would they make... change them? Like, yeah. Like they, the lighthouse? If, so as more lighthouses are introduced, it changed especially a lot in the 1800s. More lighthouses are introduced along the coast, and so they need to change the light patterns so that you can tell them apart okay yeah exactly so the lighthouse we're doing today i'm using that as an example for how to read this code Uh, but i'll just give the rundown of it so the information available for the light patterns depend on when the record was kept as characteristics changed often for light stations and the coast guard stunk at keeping records (laughs) so anytime after 39 was usually a struggle for getting information about um the lighthouse patterns. 1839? Yeah. Year? Okay. No, 1939, sorry. Uh, characteristic usually has some combination of the flash type, the light distance, flash duration, sectors, and obstructions, which I'm explaining all uh, in a little bit. First in the code is the characteristic type, which is if it's flashing, fixed, alternating. Mm. So if you see, so if the code starts with F, it means that the lighthouse light is fixed, so it's not flashing. If it's FL, then it's flashing. If it's AL, then it's alternating, which means that it's a constant light, but it's changing colors. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of different types, but I just put on here also that MO means Morse code, which I thought was super cool that they do Morse code with um, the light. But it's not like... They're not spelling out the whole lighthouse name. It's just the first letter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You show up and they're like, are we in the middle of the word or the beginning of the word? (laughs) Just, it's just playing one letter over and over again. Yeah. (laughs) So the second part of the code is the color of the light, which is usually just W for white, but sometimes it's R or sometimes it's G for red and green. Okay. Third is the characteristic period, which 
is the entirety of the flash pattern. It's not just like, it's different than the flash length. So it wouldn't say, if it says 20 seconds, it means the entirety of the, the whole flash pattern. So it's like, if it's five seconds white and then dark for 20 seconds, the period would be 25 seconds. 25. It's like a total loop. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. The next one is light distance, which is just a number a number to represent the nautical miles that the light is visible, um, preceded by the color letter of the light. Hmm. And then after that is flash duration. If there's no flash, then this number is not on there. If it's flashing, then the flash duration is how long the white or colored light is flashing before it goes dark again. Oh. So like in the earlier example, it'd be five seconds instead of 25 seconds. And the last part is sectors and obstructions, which are less common, so I didn't look too much into them. It's just a history buoy, so. Question. Okay. Where are these, I mean, they're no longer used, right? Yeah. But, so now you have a record of them online through the U.S. LHS. Mm -hmm. But, (laughs) you're welcome for that extra uh, H. Uh, God. (laughs) See, it's the U.S. LS. just sounds better. Anyways, these are online. You can find the records. They change by year because of incomplete records. But uh, did ships have these in the area that they were operating when these were live and they were it was active information? Or yes. okay, that's something that they would have already before they go to the area. Is how to tell the lighthouses apart. They would have uh, what the day mark is on the lighthouse and also its light pattern. So. They're not like flipping through a book trying to figure out which lighthouse they're at. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to do an example because it's not super clear, especially in a podcast when I can't show you what I'm talking about. The lighthouse we're covering today is Point Lookout in Maryland. So I'm going to use that as the example. So the light list has the years 1839 through 2004, which is interesting because 2004 is, it was not used Snoop Dogg was big, though. Okay. <laughs> you can give all the you can give as many facts like that as you want while I talk. <laughs> anyway, and also the lighthouse was uh, first lit in 1830, so they didn't have the first time it was lit either. They just have 1839, which I think is interesting that hmm. they don't have the full span, and they yeah. also have some random time in 2004 yeah. why 2000 it's not active i have no idea okay. i should have looked deeper into it i didn't notice until i looked at the page and was like why 2004 interesting <laughs> yeah 1839 the code says f w w 15 and as we talked about earlier the Watch first you. letter f means fixed oh <laughs> thanks to you for participating though confidence <laughs> is key the next letter is w which means that it's a white light and W15 means that this white light can be seen for 15 nautical miles. So that was the first one that I wrote. I wrote down a couple uh, just to show how it changed over time. This next one is a doozy. It took me ages to figure out what the heck it was talking about. I'll read it all to you. It says FWR, W11.75, R11.75, red sector between NW by W, one half W, and SW. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> That's the whole code for 1893 of Point Lookout. So what it's saying is that it's a fixed white red light and it's not alternating because it's not perfectly half and half. So the rest of this is an explanation of how the light is colored exactly. So well before that it's W, 11.75, R, 11.75. It's saying that both colors can be seen for 11 and three-fourths nautical miles. Okay. (laughs) And then this whole part where it's like red sector between blah, blah, is just their way of saying that the the section of light, if you're looking down on top of this um, lens, the section that's all northeast to southeast is all white, and the rest of it is red. So that would be useful to determine it's, where you are in relation to the lighthouse? It's just uh, it's just keeping track of what the light pattern looked like. Oh. So they're just describing the lens was mostly red, but sometimes white. And this huh. is, a, yeah. 1966, uh, we have 
FL2W20SW12FL2EC2FL2EC14. <laughs> I think you just made that shit up. No, it's real. It's like, I just think it's very interesting because if you look at it without knowing anything about lighthouses or lenses or anything, it would just be like this random jumble. Yeah. But FL2 means it's flashing twice in a period instead of, well, you know, like I was talking about earlier, the period is the total part of the flashing pattern. And this is saying it flashes twice in a period. W is white, and then it says 20 seconds, which is the period time. So in 20 seconds, and we have white um, for 12 nautical miles, W12. And then after that, when it says FL2, EC2, FL2, EC14, it's saying that we have a flash for two seconds, eclipse for two seconds, which is the darkness, another flash for two seconds, and then an eclipse for 14 seconds. That sounds so cool. And that adds up to 20 seconds. Right which is our listed period time. So there you have it. If you see a lighthouse characteristic, you will be able to tell what it is talking about. <laughs> I'd like to add 2004, I was correct, that Snoop Dogg was big. In fact, he released the album RNG, uh, you know, R ampersand G, Rhythm and Gangsta, uh, the masterpiece featuring Pharrell Williams. I uh, don't know any of that. I'm sorry, I was like seven. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd share what I can, right? Yeah, thank you. Co-host Vince. <laughs> okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. Yeah, I can just cut that out. <laughs> we're moving on to the episode. And today, like I said, we're covering Point Lookout. And this is in Scotland, Maryland, on the north side mouth of the Potomac River. Hmm. So here we go. There's actually, so that section of Maryland has a bunch of little uh, little points of land and that's why they're called point you know whatever point oh, lookout. Right. point lookout is actually the name of the land that point lookout lighthouse is sitting on but most of the time i'm referring to the actual lighthouse when i say point lookout it, it varies i'll try and specify when they're I'm at the same the place though yeah but it's just i mean it's a larger area of land oh, okay. it's like, point lookout at point lookout yes exactly so you're only able to visit the lighthouse on the first saturday of april through november from 10 to 2 p.m and also on paranormal event nights but this has been discontinued at least for now because of covid and they did a bunch of renovations and like reconstructions and as they were doing that they kind of saw some things where they're like i don't know if we can have people in here anymore What? yeah and because it's open and it has such a like crazy history and story behind it. There's a lot of uh, break-ins and vandalisms. Oh, great. And so I think they're kind of stepping back from having people. So, so all that's during the pandemic or what? some of the, like the break-ins? And... It's always, they've okay. always had to struggle with it. I think when they were doing the renovations, they were seeing how much damage there was. And they're Dang. kind of like, I don't know if we can keep doing this, but I saw on their website, the last update was this time last year. And they said, if or when we reopen, like, we'll let you know, but we don't really know what's going to happen. So kind of a bummer, just a couple of knuckleheads ruining it for everybody. Classic. Yeah. If you know anyone that's vandalized, point lookout, uh, bonk them over the head. <laughs> <laughs> Incite violence. I will for this. They're ruining it for everyone. So the lighthouse is a tan yellow colored brick structure with a red shingle roofing and a red lantern room. And it's a square or schoolhouse type lighthouse, which we've talked about before. It's basically a house and the middle part is a lighthouse. It's mm -hmm. like there's a little lighthouse tower coming out of the top Emerging, of the house. Emerging, right. Yes. Right now it's a duplex. There's lots and lots of windows for natural light pretty nifty keepers dwelling and they just completed a major renovation like i said their most recent flash pattern was white for five seconds two flashes per period the first reported ghost investigation done at any u.s lighthouse was here oh <laughs> that's cool yeah so let's hop 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 in to our history for point lookout <laughs> 
I'm like just excited about it. Um, so in 1825, Congress considered a small beacon at the mouth of the Potomac River because we had some more traffic going on. That's usually what happens is if people are going to start coming in somewhere or they're seeing more activity and they get enough complaints from people that sail around here often, then that's when they're like, oh, we should get a lighthouse going. And they put aside $1,800 to help mark the entrance for increasing trade. Jennifer Taylor, who was the owner of this desired parcel of land on the point, was not satisfied with the offered $500. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, they're going to go over their budget, I bet. Yeah. Here we go. The very beginning already. They're like, oh, I got to let's go ahead and double our budget. <laughs> they settled on $1,150 just for them to buy the land from Jennifer Taylor. So already that's almost the amount that they set aside to mark. Good for her, though. Hey, It's a guy. Jennifer. Good for Jennifer. <laughs> Damn. I know. When I read it, I was like, well, how did a girl own land at this time? <laughs> like, I'm just like, you go, girl. You go, you get girl. get that good deal. All right. We do have some women empowerment in this episode, I just want to say. We'll it's... start with a man named Jennifer. Yeah, we'll start low with Jennifer taking names, taking land, and taking $1,150 for <laughs> point Not so bad. Uh He actually offered to lower the price if he could be the first lighthouse keeper, but he was declined. Yeah. Lighthouse board was like, oh, uh, he said, no, uh, no Jennifer. thank you. <laughs> We'd rather pay you extra for no, you to sir. not do that. They probably met him and were like, mm, we're looking for something a little bit more distinguished than a Jennifer. A USLS member. Yeah, he needs to pay first. <laughs> so the budget was changed to $4,500 for the project in 1828. And in 1830, a contract was awarded to prolific lighthouse builder John Donahue. I, I, I meant to look up. What made him a prolific lighthouse builder. But um, I also have a book about haunted lighthouses. And I didn't uh, I didn't look at that for my one of my references in this episode. But I did just thumb through it before this before we started recording. And it says that he was really needing money. And he was prolific just because he had done a couple of lighthouses before. But none of them were like extraordinary. And I also read that he pocketed a very, very small profit for this lighthouse. (laughs) So that's interesting. But uh, he built a lighthouse that was white with a black lantern room and a red roof. It only took him a couple months to build, which is very different. Setting records. Right. Very different from all of the lighthouses that we've talked about so far. Where it takes years. So it has a, had a fixed white light from 11 lamps inside the Fresnel lens. Um, I didn't look to see what kind of or what order of lens it had. But um, let me look. It's on a river mouth, the Potomac. Is that right? Yes. I believe it was a fifth order lens that they started with. Small boy. Yeah. It was a small one. I don't like being so close to it. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I'm not. I love how I'm like. Are you okay? We we once be sure yeah. I'm in the mic. <laughs> did you did you pick that? Can up? you hear the cicadas? We so we are once again changing where we're sitting. This will not be permanent. Another evolution yeah. of the studio. I remember last time you said we had three different studio setups, and now here we are again. This time we're sitting on our couches. But Number it's, four. It's not a good. It won't be. This won't happen again. <laughs> Some new equipment again. Anyway, so the first keeper was James Davis. And he died after two months from malaria. Oh, my God. Yeah, very, very short stint. The keeper duties were left to his daughter, Ann Davis. Um, and she had an annual salary of $350, which was the same as her father. And I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but women lighthouse keepers were not uncommon because a lot of the times they stay in the family. Mm-hmm. So when the husband dies or the dad dies, then the daughter slash wife will not slash wife, daughter or wife. <laughs> the daughter wife. <laughs> Gross. Ow. Old times. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> the daughter or wife will take over lighthouse duties because she already knows how to do it and they don't need to replace because the woman can do it just fine. Yep. So a year into her duties, Anne is caught selling liquor out of the lighthouse. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which she was told was not allowed in a letter from the fifth auditor of the U.S. Treasury Department. 
So he, I don't know if someone came by and did an investigation or something. and was just like, Anne, Lighthouse what moonshine. are you doing? Uh, you know, contrary to what she seems like being someone selling liquor out of her lighthouse that she's supposed to be running. They actually said that she was one of the best keepers that they ever had at, um, in the lighthouse service. In 1838, an inspection report says a new fence is in order and states, quote, I am particularly anxious that this establishment should be put in good repair, as Miss Davis is reported to be one of our best keepers, unquote. So he's just like, they need, we need a new fence because Miss Davis, she needs the best. (laughs) She's known for it. And then 1843, an inspection report says, quote, the establishment is marvelously clean and very well kept by the correct Miss Davis. (laughs) Okay. Okay, Miss Davis. So she's just getting showered with compliments all over the place. So she passed away in 1847 while performing her lighthouse duties in the lantern room. Oh, boy. Yeah. So we've collected two ghosts already. That's what I'll say. Um, and her duties are taken over by some rando, William Wood, who sucked. <laughs> that's a cool name. Okay, that's too bad because it's a cool name. It is a cool name. That's all he had going for him. Especially going right after Ann Davis. You can't stink at your job. Yeah. There's some records of things that happened under his watch. A cat fell into a barrel of valuable oil fuel contaminating 56 gallons. I should have looked to see how expensive that would be, but I think it's probably pretty expensive. Uh, broke two dozen glass lamp chimneys that were stored in the basement. That's a lot. That's a the lot. The cat did this? No, the guy. Mm-hmm. The cat died probably in the barrel, and that's why it was contaminated. <laughs> I mean, come on. If they say it's contaminated. Uh, it's probably It was probably in there for a while. Okay, so two dozen. <laughs> Sorry. So he had his wages garnished in 1849 and was replaced with a new keeper. Dang. So there's record of three more keepers after him, but none were apparently noteworthy because there were no notes. No notes. Yeah. The fourth order lens was installed in 1854. Um, I think it just needed more power for um, how many people were coming in. More power, baby. More power. Pamelia Edwards was in, I think, so she's the sixth keeper of this lighthouse. And okay. she had the same last night name as two of the keepers before her, so I'm assuming this became uh, in the family sort of thing. It seemed like it was the father, and then it was to an eldest daughter or wife, and then to Pamelia. She was the keeper from 1855 to 1869, which overlapped with the Civil War era, which was pretty dark on Point Lookout. Point Lookout, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go into it, but previous to the war... Point Lookout had always been like a really pleasant place. It was kind of like a resort style area. It was like a summer resort. It had St. Michael's Manor, which was built when the first settlers were there on Maryland. Mm-hmm. It had beach cottages, a wharf, and the lighthouse kind of just added to the whole charm of the area. So I think it was probably wealthy and just a place where people went for vacations and such. And then the war kind of brought death and... Oh, boy. Suffering. <laughs> Civil War began in 1861. Um, so here we go. This this is the thing that I just really wanted to tell you as I was researching it. It's just kind of this goofy story that I found. Before I go into this horrible, dark stuff, I'll just tell you this. <laughs> so in 1862, it was really after the war um, kind of got started and everyone was mobilizing. Yeah. Historians had a really hard time finding out where the... 26th Regiment of Pennsylvania and the 2nd Regiment of New Hampshire went during uh, April of 1862. Historians have been trying to piece together where what the track was for all of the troops. Yeah. And they found a note from Pamelia at the lighthouse saying that the men had been on point lookout, but didn't have any details. But in the note, she said something that was basically like they had done something bad. Oh. and But there was no specifying what those things were and so then i found a dramatic telling from one of the second regiment uh new hampshire men okay nice so it so his story goes that they broke camp and boarded steamers to get to fortress monroe i don't know where that is but they had to pass uh point lookout there was 10 men and they were all on this steamer called south america and randomly, two of the 22nd Pennsylvania men were also with them. I don't mm. know what happened to the other part of the 22nd or the 26th 
But the South America left later than the rest of the divisions and got caught in a storm. And so they were just dumped at Point Lookout. I don't know what the plan was, but the guy did not have nice things to say about the guy that was in charge of South America. The steamship. Yeah. yeah. So this guy, he comes in and, and complains about this resort-style location. By now, it's cleared out because this area is dangerous, and so there's nobody living there. But it's pretty nice, and he says something like in his wording, but basically what he's saying is, we found really swell living quarters if these quarters were built to punish people. like. <laughs> Mr. Drama. I was just... Uh, and so he says, quote, We found a free use for firewood of the rail fence, which surrounded the light keeper's little garden. Hey, it used to be a nice fence. He, they just uprooted Pamelia's garden fence and used it for firewood. Well, it used to be a nice fence back in the day that people wrote stories about it. Right? Same what? Same fence. There was a story written or something. Oh no, the guy the, the guy was just saying that the fence needed to be replaced because it wasn't nice enough for Pamelia. Okay. Well, it became firewood <laughs> eventually, so. I just can't, they just get dropped off and they just take, first of all, Pamelia's there. She wrote a note that they showed up. So why are they not asking for firewood? Why are they taking her garden fence for firewood? It's like, you guys are ding-dongs. And so he said... By now, they had run out of rations and learned to bear hunger patiently before more came. And this next part, I've got to read all in his own words because it's amazing. He said, quote, A raid was made upon a few hundred pounds of bacon, which were discovered in the vicinity. Few hundred pounds of bacon discovered. You took them from the lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, they came from somewhere. Like, we just happened upon a few hundred pounds of bacon 300 pounds a few hundred a few pounds hundred, yeah a few to me it's a more than 200 that's probably 300 bacon? and then he says after that but that was hardly a morsel in the mouths of our famished horde okay <laughs> what this guy wanted to be written into history you're yeah. giving him what he wants he's a few hundred pounds for 12 people and he's like Ugh. It was barely anything. Then he says, Crumbs of crackers were carefully gleaned from the bottoms of our haversacks, and tea and coffee grounds were boiled over and over again. Here's the kicker. For three days we subsisted <laughs> thus. <laughs> uh. Before a boat arrived from Washington with provisions, when we again embarked, glad enough to leave the inhospitable shores of Point Starvation, as it had been well named <laughs> three uh, they were there for three days they had a few hundred pounds of bacon and he was like we weren't <laughs> sure we were gonna make it <laughs> dude has never missed a meal ever yeah it's pretty early on in the war he hasn't known the struggle yet uh, i just had to share that it was amazing when funny. i was reading it, i was just i could i could not believe what i was reading so anyway, that was just a fun little thing before we get into the darkness. So the U.S. government built uh, the Hammond General Hospital in 1862 to care for Union soldiers. So this was really close to the lighthouse. It was within half a mile of the lighthouse. Yeah. I think probably shared the same plot of land. And it became a holding place for small numbers of Maryland residents that were charged with assisting the South. So it kind of became a hospital slash um, holding cell. Then, after the Battle of Gettysburg, a prison called Camp Hoffman was built, along with forts to protect the hospital, prison, and the lighthouse. So this area became a hubbub for Civil War activity. Point Lookout was strategically close to major engagements. Didn't look up what that meant. But it was still far enough out that escape would be improbable for the people that were in this prison. Huh. There's a capacity of 10,000 people in Camp Hoffman. And in 1863, there was only 4,000 soldiers at the prison. But by the next year, it was 20,000. Its capacity is half of that. That is incredible. That's yeah. so many people. So it kind of became a place where people died. <laughs> because your capacity is... Your capacity can't be doubled when it comes to people living somewhere. Yeah. That's not sustainable. So Camp Hoffman was the largest of all prison camps for Confederate soldiers. Uh, they had rows of tents set up like streets with a thousand or more prisoners in each row. And they were big tents. There were different sizes. They had names for all of them, but it usually varied between 
like 20 per tent to like three per tent. I don't know Jeez. who would decide who gets the big tents and the small tents. tents. I know the 20, one of the 20 people tent was a hospital for the Confederate soldiers. Food and firewood uh, were strictly rationed. It was supposed to be served meat twice a day, but that rarely happened. Mm. Back of the prison was against a bay where soldiers could bathe, wash clothes, and find additional food like clams or fish. And lobster is what I saw. Like, oh. Did you say food? Oh, food like, not like. Yeah, no. Food like. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, catching rats for protein became a sport in the camp because they didn't get Southern served things. meat. What are they supposed to do? It's pretty sad, though. But they made a sport of it, so maybe that's positive. That's <laughs> yeah, sad. Camp was only five feet above sea level, meaning it was often flooded. Wells were dug that were too shallow and were unsafe to drink with high levels of salt and iron. So eventually they had to start shipping in fresh water for the camp because the wells were just not safe to drink. Yeah. A Confederate soldier that purchased his freedom from the camp, which I think is interesting, that they're like, sure, go back. <laughs> as long as you can pay us. As long as you can pay the fee. <laughs> I should have seen what the fee is. but He said that guards were paid 10 to $15 per prisoner that they shot in their duty. So... Confederate soldiers are just getting mowed down by guards. The camp was filthy. Uh, They had chronic diarrhea, dysentery, and typhoid fever as like epidemics on the camp. Yeah, this is a nightmare. Yeah, and smallpox, scurvy, and the itch were common. Didn't look up what the itch was. Mm. On top of this, many freed slaves were placed here as guards and would see their former, quote, slave owners... Mm -hmm come in as prisoners of war and they were in charge of them that didn't go well for anybody so i saw i mean you would assume of course that there would be some brutality happening but i saw that there was actually uh kind of like a weird depending on how the relationship was before the war happened there was either like benevolence on behalf of the guards or brutality yeah I can can imagine that. Yeah. So 4,000 soldiers died at this camp, which was about 10% of the people that came through it. I think think it was actually like 50,000 people came through this camp while while the Civil War was happening. And their bodies were buried in a mass grave just next to the lighthouse, which was relocated to a spot along Route 5 due to erosion uh, later on. Mm. I don't have a date for that total of over 50,000 soldiers stayed here and only 50 successful escape attempts. So it was a good spot for keeping prisoners. Yeah. <laughs> After the war, the prisoners were released alphabetically and by the reverse order of states that seceded from the Union. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. But yeah, that's Point Lookout during the Civil War where we've collected a mass of ghosts at this point. Yeah, that's so <laughs> Thousands dark. and thousands of ghosts. Sailors, it's starting to heat up outside, and that means going to the pool, kayaking, hitting the beach, or just lounging around and enjoying the weather. Tidewaters are your perfect foot companion for all of these activities this summer. Like stepping on a cloud, these sandals are made with high-density yoga mats that mold perfectly to your feet, which fits them right into whatever your schedule holds, whether that be exploring, dinner dates, swimming, you name it. Aside from the super cute patterns you can choose from, like animal print, sailboats, dogs, fruits, floral, and many more, you also get amazing lightweight material that's perfect for traveling or just being on the go. The best part is there's a discount for teachers all year round. As my podcast listeners, you can use the code THELOWDOWN for 20% off your order. Follow the link in my show notes to get your own. Also, as a Lowdown podcast listener, you get access to the giveaway that I mentioned in this episode. So go ahead and send me an email to enter yourself into our giveaway, and also let me know what you think about our review. After the war, the first upgrade to the lighthouse was the construction of a fog bell tower in 1872. We're switching wildly from <laughs> different theme. talking about the Civil War to back to the lighthouse. Uh, In 1883, the roof of the dwelling was removed and an extra story was added along with a front and back porch. They also added a buoy depot, which received coal and uh, had buoy sheds and a wharf. 
1888, Point Lookout was subjected to a problem shared by basically all of the Chesapeake Bay lighthouses, which was erosion. The board requested $500 for a permanent bulwark made of large timber and stone, which would just stop the erosion. And that was built in 1889. In 1930, its centennial year, it was remodeled. Oh, this is when it changed to be a duplex. And they added hot and cold running water, up-to-date sanitary system, a wind electric generating plant wow. built on the station's ground. And that was actually the first installation by the Lighthouse Service in the U.S. So. In 1930? Yeah. That's incredible. So this provided light for the beacon and the entire house. So it was pretty cool. We have George M. Willis Sr. He was the lighthouse keeper from 1917 to 1939. So I believe he served just a little bit less than Ann Davis did. He was commended for saving lots of people in distress during his time at the lighthouse. In 1919, he rescued three from drowning and recovered the body of another who had drowned. In 1923, he helped occupants of a house near the station that had burned to the ground. Wow. <laughs> There's like lots of bad stuff happening. Yeah, on Point not Lookout. a good spot. In 1925, he provided assistance to those aboard a plane that had crash landed near the lighthouse and put them up in a lighthouse for a night. Oof. In 1939, Harold King, which is the commissioner of lighthouses, visited and noticed that both Willis and the assistant were unable to perform their duties. <laughs> so he just came and was like, oh no, you guys should not be keepers anymore. Willis was permanently lame doing, due to an accident the mm. year before. And uh, the assistant was near deafness. So much so that he couldn't use the telephone there anymore. Wow. I'm not sure if that was just due to age. I'm That's assuming sad. it was due to age that both of them would, were being forced to retire. But in any case, the lighthouse was handed over to the Coast Guard, along with every other lighthouse I've mentioned so far. And civilians actually looked after it as keepers for a while. So it, the light wasn't turned off or automated. Uh, civilians still kept a look after it. And then it was passed on to the Navy in 1965, and they extinguished the light on January 11th, 1966. The Navy was uninterested in maintaining the lighthouse, and it had not had any repairs since a superficial cleaning in 1980 and an exterior restoration in 2002. So it's kind of, that's why they've recently done this renovation, and I think that's when they saw how bad the lighthouse was, like, how yeah know. so the, this damage you're talking about is it just erosion or f structural damage over time or I is it vandalism damage i bet it's a lot of things because we're talking about almost 100 years of no help with the yeah. foundation or i mean it's it's made of wood and brick so it's and right next to the water i'm sure it's taken a lot of damage yeah. in those 100 years Point Lookout Lighthouse Preservation Society was founded in 2006 by Laura Berg, who lived at the lighthouse from 80 to 81 when it was rentable. The Navy had a 99-year contract with the state of Maryland that they could rent the lighthouse out to people, uh, civilians, during mm -hmm. this time. But there was some dispute between the state of Maryland, technically, and the Navy about the Navy fixing the water system there mm -hmm. and they refused to do it. And so there was like this big clash and the Navy rescinded its 99 year lease. I'm sure there's more to the story that would make the Navy not seem like the bad guy. But <laughs> So the haunted reputation for this lighthouse makes it known as the most haunted lighthouse in America. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I have some crazy audio for everyone to listen to that was recorded in the 80s around this lighthouse that will make believers out of non-believers in my opinion some of them are buhaki if you like listen to them and it says they're saying you know help me and it doesn't sound anything like help I and they're like it sounds like get out and it's you listen to it and it just sounds like a cabinet shutting or something it's like that's not what it sounds like <laughs> some of them are far reaches but some of these i listened to and was actually like ooh, they make your hair stand up oh really yeah so i'll play some of those uh at least on my computer for you and me to listen to okay. and then i'll splice in the audio so people can hear it better yeah so point lookout has been a site of shipwrecks fires famine disease and war so the stage is sort of set for um, some ghost activity no even plane wrecks 
It's like a paranormal soup going on. (laughs) (laughs) Before the lighthouse in the 1600s, colonists arrived, uh, bringing along Native American massacres, fires, and shipwrecks. So already before the lighthouse existence, hundreds of years before, we had a lot of destruction happening. I mean, that's true everywhere. But um, the Potomac, though, it's a, yeah, it's yeah. a rough area. In 1648, the Virginia Indians raided Point Lookout, massacring a majority of the early settlers that were there. And in 1862, Union gunboat USS Tulip exploded offshore. Um, there was a problem with the boiler, and the captain said to increase the pressure. <laughs> I guess, to overcome whatever he thought the problem was. And uh, it claimed, this explosion claimed 57 lives. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and eight mutilated, unidentified bodies washed ashore and were buried on the point. (sighs) So there's a couple more. We're just just collecting ghost presences in all kinds of forms. The bodies of the soldiers that died in the camp that I covered... Mm -hmm have been moved three times since the mass grave that was placed on the point. So. They moved the mass grave mm-hmm. three times? Yeah, because of erosion. And the second time, I'm not sure what happened. I oh bet it was like gosh. a land dispute-related thing. But so, like, these people are never at rest this whole oh. time. It's Yeah, and... Don't, and it's a mass grave. Don't move bodies from where their spirits are residing. <laughs> yeah. In 1878, a hotel burned to the ground, and the steamer Express broke up on the coast during a hurricane. So that's 22 more lives in that instance. That was all in the same year. And the first documentation of a haunting was from park manager Gerald Sward. Oh, wow. Sword. I don't know how to read English. (laughs) Sword. Sword. In the 1970s, during a storm, he suddenly spotted a man's face in the window of the lighthouse. This man in the window was wearing a floppy hat and a coat, and he went, he went to go let him into the lighthouse because he's not rude, and it's a storm, so he was just letting him in. The man stepped over the threshold and disappeared. What? Sword said he recognized the man as a young crewman, Joseph Heaney, who washed ashore after the express was destroyed in 78 because his likeness had been drawn in the papers after his death. Like obituaries, that that's what I was thinking. He let a, okay. He let a ghost in, not knowing it was a ghost, and it disappeared in front of him. Yeah, just like walking in, it's like the entry into this lighthouse dissipated his image. That's awesome. I don't know if it's awesome. <laughs> I would be just absolutely. I would be like, I can't be here anymore. <laughs> like that's never happening again. So Laura Berg, who I mentioned, opened uh, this preservation society for this lighthouse. She and her husband lived here in 80 to 81 and experienced heavy footsteps, noises in the halls, horrible odors, and more. And she began keeping a diary of this. And she also reached out to Sword during this time, who had also lived at the lighthouse Mm -hmm. and experienced these things. And together they requested the first paranormal investigation in a U.S. lighthouse. So in this investigation, a famous photo was taken that was authenticated and resides in the New York Institute of Technology. It was a picture in the house taken of Laura Berg, and she was just standing in the living room. During the investigation? Yeah. Okay. They took tons of pictures and recordings, and that's where most of this evidence comes from is this... In the 80s, right? In the 80s, yeah. yeah. Which makes it a little bit more believable because they don't have editing of photos and things. Yeah, but they have good enough recording technology yeah Yeah. so this picture was taken of laura berg that when developed showed very very clearly have you seen this picture no i'll need to show you right now so this this photo showed very clearly a man next to her who they described as headless but i say his head's just not in the picture and uh it's like obviously a man in a confederate uniform it really looks like a soldier in that photo isn't that wild like that is a guy standing there. I mean, you can see the wrinkles of his pants. Yeah. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. And it's like, there's no editing, and I'm not thinking that they would set up a guy standing there in a Confederate uniform. And yeah. he looks whited out. Like, he looks... It says, the soldier was not seen by the participants. Yeah. <sighs> Creepy. And a lot of these other pictures, they say, you know, there's a, a spectral flare here, which... 
to me could just be the flash going off and catching a piece of dust but you can't replicate this with dust it's not like a a little orb an orb they see orbs here and there in their photos this is a man standing there in a confederate uniform (laughs) it's just very creepy so that's like kind of the most famous piece of evidence from this investigation the group who claimed to be in tune with the paranormal this group that's investigating the lighthouse were tormented by a feeling of intense pain and suffering coming from a small bedroom on the second floor and laura berg said that to them later that this room was the place that stunk really bad at night Uh. yeah and odors are usually a sign of demons in one yeah (laughs) thought it was trash just (laughs) demons in the garage in one instance berg awoke in the middle of the night to a circle of six lights circling over her head and when she woke up she smelled smoke and ran downstairs to find that the heater was in flames and like she caught it early on that she could just put it out with the extinguisher, and she believes that the spirits uh, had woken her to save her from Whoa. the fire. So they hear lots of, they and everyone who comes to experience this, because they have those paranormal nights where people can come and uh, like feel it out. They hear shutters banging, even though there's no shutters on the house. Lots of whistling, singing, and they recorded 24 voices during the time they did that investigation in the 80s so just lots of people the voices are like can be male or female there's angry voices whispers banging drums chanting just like all kinds of stuff Hmm. so i'm gonna play a couple of sounds for you and me and i'll I'll, um, bop them into the audio for everybody else later paranormal sounds and if there are ghosts then they're absolutely going to be at that place i know so the first one I'm going to play is Get Out. It just sounds like a guy saying, Get Out. And this was recorded somewhere in the lighthouse during the 80s. It's repeating, but... That is terrifying. Isn't that... It's like a very angry man's voice. It's really scary. Do you have context for this recording? Like, is it just in the house walking around or uh yeah it does it just says recorded somewhere in the lighthouse during okay. this time um on a tape recorder and it says the get out phrase has been captured many times in different places in different voices in the lighthouse and the second one i'm gonna play is chanting they left their recorder down in the basement when they weren't in the lighthouse and what they caught is just like disgusting <laughs> like, great can't wait. Here we go. That was supposedly in an empty, quiet basement. Yeah, that sounds. That sounds really loud because of distortion. Yeah. In the recording. It's so creepy. I was gonna sleep tonight, but I guess I'll just I'll just not. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like I, I listened to this before, and each time I just don't sleep well because they're real. Well, thank you for this. All right, one more uh, is a female voice saying "help." I think this one repeats too, but it's very quiet. But I can hear it. Yeah. So I'll, I'm sorry. The chanting wasn't repeating. No. Oh my God, that's so much more scary. That was an eight second recording of this basement. <laughs> that's so bothersome. Isn't Our like, lights also flickered. I, I know. I think it's just because the air conditioner kicked <laughs> on, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah. So it's okay. getting dark outside. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So those are just some of the recordings they got in the 80s. In the 80s, like there's no manipulation of audio around this time that I would believe as much as that and all of these have been enhanced it's just too much <laughs> i mean it could it could be false yeah there's always a chance it could be but i believe it i mean i think ghosts are real and if they're gonna get audio that's crazy anywhere and pictures of confederate soldiers then it would be at this place another thing people experience is chilled air in the house that is unexplainable and passes quickly there's a story from ranger kevin hook in 1999 He said he was sitting in the living room of the lighthouse with his dog, and it was over 100 degrees inside the lighthouse. Mm, Nice. 
He said suddenly the dog ran with a panic out of the living room to the door to the kitchen and barked continuously towards him where he was sitting in the living room. And then suddenly the room turned freezing cold, so cold that he could see his own breath. And it remained that way for 30 seconds and then went back to normal. Wow. Like a hundred. He said it was like a sauna in that room. And all of a sudden it was so cold he could see his breath. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. No. It said that he was uh, a non-believer. And after this, he became a believer. Yeah, they, they knew he didn't believe. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, you want us to show you? Welcome. So I mentioned before that the grave sites had been moved often. Uh, many people see apparitions that appear to be searching for something on the grounds. In one instance in 1977, Ranger Donnie Hammett was working and saw an elderly woman searching near the beach, and she was wearing a wool coat and a shawl, and this was like in the summer. So he went up to her and asked her if she needed help, and she said she was looking for a gravestone, and Hammett said that he felt really unwelcome, like she was resentful that he had come up and asked her if she needed help. And so he was walking back to his post, and when he turned around, the woman was gone. Oh, are there? Uh, yeah, I just got chills. Yeah, our floor just cracked in the. Uh... Normally, I blame the cats, but they're not. They're in the basement. When he returned after his rounds, he asked his boss um, if there had been gravestones in the area, or that if there were any lost gravestones. And a keeper had reported that the Taylor family cemetery was in danger of washing out at the sea from erosion, so it was relocated, and the people buried there were a mother and her four children. So people think that instance of seeing a woman looking yeah. around was a mom looking for her kids gravestones yeah, it was a family graveyard like mm-hmm. in their property yeah just like a private cemetery lastly i'll say that there is commonly seen a female apparition in a white blouse and a long light blue skirt and this apparition usually appears very kind and friendly and in the lantern room and a lot of people say it's ann davis performing her duties even past her Still crushing it. Yeah. She's like, I'm not gonna I'm never gonna stop being the best keeper they've Le- ever had. Legends never die. <laughs> <laughs> That's so scary. That is what I have on Point Lookout. That's the conclusion? Yes. <laughs> We're finishing it off with Ann Davis. Alright, so can we, you might not know. Do they are the tours gonna come back? Can no, people I I probably not. I think probably not. Just because their last post was a year ago and they were saying if and when, I think they're kind of making it obvious that it's not a thing that's going to come back. I really want to go. I do too. I kind of want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be super cool. Like, you know, there are some places where you can stay overnight, like in houses where people have been murdered and there's like a lot of activity. Mm-hmm. They let you stay overnight in like the room where they were murdered. Mm-hmm. Those people are crazy. Yeah, I don't think I want to do that. I wouldn't sleep. No, I'm thinking like a daytime, like a 2 p.m. tour. Yeah, casually. You know, I'm between, bringing ice cream. You know, right after lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any support right now to, so I guess, uh, who would be supporting? You mean like the donations? reopening? Yeah. I think if there were like an open donation. Uh, it would be on that ptlookoutlighthouse.com. Okay. So you should take a look. You could even contact the people, Laura Berg, see if That's they're so taking scary. donations. But, I mean, it is a bummer for there to be this much activity and people can't go experience it. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, if not ghosts, then history. Yeah. Uh, not positive history, but mm-hmm. that's a potent area. Yeah. Yeah. Episode five completed. Terrifying. <laughs> scary. So, and the sun has just set, folks. Yeah, so we get to live with this feeling all night long. We just watch a happy movie after this. What did you say? 51 dates? 51st dates. Oh, 51st dates. We should do that. <laughs> and then we'll watch like some SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> we are children. Really diffuse the tension. Yeah. Ugh, it's too much. Yeah. Confederate soldiers chanting in empty basements. <sighs> Chills. We need some more feedback, though. I mean, I, I know I don't I don't manage the channel, but uh, we've got a giveaway today. Right. We can, I don't know, what are people interested in learning about? Yeah. Uh, if, I mean, aside from the giveaway, if anyone has any lighthouse they want to see covered or um, 
are really interested in hearing more about or if you've heard a little bit about it and you want me to do a whole episode on it or any crazy or, stories yeah or if you have your own stories about lighthouses that you want to share or if there's even like a history buoy that you want to hear more about please do send me an email the lighthouse lowdown at gmail.com i'd be happy to cover anything that people are interested in hearing so yeah. have at it or you can just send me an email and tell us how cool our podcast is <laughs> Hype up. Yeah. So subscribe to my channel and also visit my website, uh, podpage.com slash the lighthouse lowdown. And also thank you to our sponsor for this episode, Tidewater Sandals. Don't forget to enter our giveaway by sending me an email. Do you have anything else? That's all. Good work on the research. This is thank you. really interesting. Thank you for listening to the lighthouse lowdown is that normally how i end this episode i can't remember i don't know <laughs> thanks everybody